Good morning. Friends, it's very, very wonderful to be back with you after a couple of months. Thank you so much for having me. Um, for those of you that I have not met before, my name is Rachel Rogers. I use they and she pronouns. Um, I live in Nashville. Um, I'm a seminarian at Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. This morning, um, I'm going to be sharing with you some thoughts I've been having lately um, that kind of resonate around our fourth principle, that free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Um, I tend to get up here and tell you some stories from my life, and today will be no different. Um, But I'm sharing with you a bit about my own search for truth and meaning, and then also some of the practices that I carry with me now that keep me propelled forward on that journey. So we've talked about this before, so it does go without saying, but just as a premise, these past years have been hard on a totally different level for most, if not all of us. Paradigms have been shifted, systems of support have shown their weaknesses, or sprung up anew from unexpected sources. Everyone learned new ways of being together, new ways to work, new ways to learn, new ways to worship. In fact, that's how I met all of you on Zoom several months ago. I also know that all of us at this point have done plenty of listening and have learned that almost to a household or even to a person, The particular set of challenges faced since March 2020 have had their own set of circumstances. The hard has been different for everyone. So for me, when the onset of the pandemic hit, my wife Ashley was about three months pregnant with our second child. And our daughter, who just turned four, was about to turn two and start preschool. Well, that didn't happen. She did not start preschool. And I suddenly went from being in an office to suddenly working from home, which is a very typical story. Everything was a challenge. Every adaptation felt like a loss. And we actually locked down entirely due to Ashley's pregnancy. We didn't see our family. We didn't see our friends. And of course, suddenly, we weren't going to church. So just as it did in all our congregations, Sunday services became live streams. And in the first few months of the pandemic, we as a household faithfully logged on every Sunday. And we tried really hard to pay attention while our two-year-old became increasingly annoyed with us at our inattention. So after the time for all ages, which back then at our church involved a lot of excellent puppet shows, one of us ended up needing to leave the room to attend to the baby while the other one stayed behind feeling a little bit guilty because they weren't helping out. So eventually, I'm sorry to say, our Sunday Zoom attendance fell way off. It just felt too hard. And the Zoom fatigue was real, right? Like work and then birthday parties or like church, everything was Zoom, it was hard. And by the time our baby was born in September of that year, we had all but completely fallen off the rails. Our whole world was our kids and trying to keep them safe, healthy, and happy. And that was nice in parts because we were together, but we were so exhausted by the rigor of everything that I realized that I was seeing my own personal spiritual practices fall by the wayside. I had time to work, eat, sleep, and take care of babies. And that was it. That was everything. We were in survival mode, and we stayed there for a really long time. It was months later, well into 2021, that I realized that I had been neglecting my own personal faith in some really real ways. Church had fallen off. I didn't have my daily spiritual practices. I didn't have that anchor of going into the church building. 
I was planning my entry into seminary after years of preparation in the fall, and I felt like I was doing so in a time when I was isolated from spiritual community, more so than I'd ever been since I'd discovered Unitarian Universalism about seven years before. So circumstances felt dire. Like I was in conflict with myself. Like my call to ministry felt strong, but it also felt like it was calling to me while I was at the bottom of a deep well, like and it echoed down. I had to listen really hard for it. Like I knew it was there, but I didn't know how I was going to pull myself up and out and get to it. So this wasn't my first time feeling cut off from faith. Like so many members of our movement, I come from my own background of religious trauma, and I have a faith of origin that I left behind some time ago. I spent my childhood and youth in struggle around the fact that I couldn't hold on to the blind faith that was asked of me. In my early 30s, this period was the darkest for me. I was outside of any faith tradition and was adamantly secular. In fact, the story that Jill just read was hitting me pretty hard, like this was a dark heart time. This was a closed off time. That fence was really high. At this point in my life, any mention of God or religion or prayer or faith would send me into an angry tailspin. Like, I basically had a tantrum. No one was going to try to make meaning out of my misery. No one was going to try to convince me to connect with anything larger than myself. Like, my arms were crossed. My feet were planted. No. It was a no. And it was around this time that I actually entered as a member of a weekly support group that was focused around stress reduction and trauma healing. And this group was led by two wise and loving therapists who were interested in working with us around using mindfulness-based stress reduction. Now, at the beginning of each group session, we were asked to check in on three topics, how we were feeling emotionally, physically, and spiritually, which, of course, I was very resistant to at this time. And I remember the first several weeks of these sessions, I would call a hard pass on that third question. Like, I would be like, emotionally, like, I'm fine. I'm a little bit sad about this thing that happened. Like, physically, my shoulder hurt. Spiritually, mm, no, pass. Like, every time. Um, and I actually realized that my doing that had a little bit of influence on the group. And I started to see other people in the following weeks kind of doing the same thing. Like, well, if she doesn't have to do it, then I'm not going to do it. And it had started to build a little bit. So it was at that point that the therapists kind of stepped in as group leaders, and they encouraged us to describe our spiritual check-in as either connected or not connected. So spiritually, I feel connected today. Spiritually, I do not feel connected. And I was like, okay, fine. I can do that. And my heart started to open. Completely unknown to me then, this planted a tiny little seed that would germinate big time later in my life. So as I mentioned, this support group was bringing mindfulness practice to a group of trauma survivors. So the intention was to help us find stress relief and connection to presence. And what happened initially was that a group of people, myself included, who were used to spending time anywhere but in the present, and with no sort of connection to our bodies, right, which we were doing to care for ourselves, well, when someone suddenly asked us to drop into presence and pay attention to our body and stay in this moment, it didn't go well. Like, everybody was like, no way, like, kind of freaked out. There was some anxiety involved. So it wasn't a pleasant experience, but it made me feel really curious. Mindfulness, this was maybe about 10 years ago, was starting to get buzzy. You're starting to hear more people talk about it. It was coming a little more into the mainstream, and it seemed practical to me. 
I wanted to be able to do it, but I had this experience that was fairly unpleasant. So that night, I went home and I googled trauma and mindfulness to see what I could find. So that moment and that choice, that group of people trying to find a new path to healing, this was a moment where my connection, where my personal renewal of faith truly started to kindle. My Google search led me to Buddhist psychologist, therapist, and meditation teacher Tara Brock, which I'm sure some of you have heard of before. This is her book, Radical Acceptance. Um, she teaches classes every Wednesday night at the UU Church in Bethesda, Maryland that are live streamed. I'll tell you all of this because she's a big deal in my life. Um, but this was the book that I Googled that I landed on. And in this book and in these teachings, I found a new spiritual practice. And this was the first one that I ever discovered on my own, in my own searching. And that was the practice of the pause. So I'll quote Brock on the subject. Taking our hands off the controls and pausing is an opportunity to see the clear wants and fears that are driving us. During the moments of pause, we become conscious of how feeling, or how feeling something is missing or wrong keeps us leaning into the future on our way to somewhere else. This gives us a fundamental choice in how we respond. We can continue our futile attempts at managing our experience, or we can meet our vulnerability with the wisdom of acceptance. So I'll end her quote there. So pausing, this practice of a pause, I'll tell you what that is a little bit more for me. It's about everything melting for just a moment, or as a dear friend of mine taught me once, to be where my feet are, and to orient myself to what I'm feeling, to what I'm resisting, and to try to remember that in this moment, underneath all of this emotion, that my awareness is unchanged, that I'm okay. What this means for me is that when I find myself in struggle, anger, overwhelm, or even on the edge of panic, if I can pause and ask myself the question, what is happening here? What is this feeling? What am I reacting to? I'm then given the chance to name what is happening. I'll give you a very recent example. Um, last Sunday, I was preaching for the first time down in Huntsville, Alabama. And so miraculously, my mother-in-law was free the night before, so she took the girls and Ashley came with me. We got to spend the night in a hotel without our kids for the first time since who knows when. It was great. So she was there with me at church. And before it started, I was nervous. I had adrenaline. I'd never been there before. And I wasn't just, I'd found out not too long before that day, I wasn't just giving a talk, I was like leading the whole service with prayers and all the things and introing songs and I was like, I'm not singing, like just so you know into a microphone. Um, and so before the service started, we were meeting people out in the lobby, I was speaking to them, introducing myself, having what I felt like was nice, pleasant conversation. And as we walked back towards the front of the church, Ashley says to me, take a deep breath, you're talking really fast. <laughs> And I got mad because I felt like I was, I'm fine, I, this is great. I'm being personable, this is really warm. What do you mean I'm talking really fast? Do I sound like I'm nervous? Do I sound really freaked out? Like I was mad and I was like, Ugh! like I just, like my heart, whoosh, like wanted to close up. And so then it was time to start the service and she's sitting there kind of like, whoa, I was trying to help. And I took a deep breath 
And I said, okay, what are you actually feeling right now? What's actually going on? What was actually going on is that I was feeling vulnerable. I was worried that this congregation would not find my presence valuable. I didn't want to waste their time. I wanted to give a gift to them. I was, I was scared. And I was scared of rejection, even. It's just that bigger, overarching fear that we have. And so I felt that. I wasn't mad at Ashley. I wasn't mad that she had told me to slow down. You guys have heard me speak enough that that's probably not a bad piece of advice. So I took a deep breath, and I could let it go. And the service started, and it was okay. So once I've named what I'm feeling, I get to have the chance to ask myself those further questions about it. I get underneath that initial reaction. I learn why I'm reacting the way that I am, like I just described. Pausing is an arrival in the present, arriving in my own awareness. And what that recognition becomes for me next is a point of connection. And a point of connection to myself, to others, to my own awareness, which for me now, in this moment, in my personal theology, that awareness is my something greater than myself. So therefore, I've made a connection to spirit and to my faith. So the connection point grows into an understanding of something bigger, right? An understanding of an intrinsic belief in the connection itself, of the possibility of it, to something bigger than myself that strings us all together. And in turn, that discovery led me to a search for community around that belief. Once I discovered the spiritual practice, started practicing it, felt a connection to something bigger, well, now I need a community. So in short, this book, that support group, was the catalyst that led me to Unitarian Universalism, to a call to ministry, and ultimately to be with you here today. So this current semester, bringing us to the present again, is in in my seminary studies, I've been in an introduction to Buddhist studies course, which has been wonderful. And while my reconnection to my personal faith has been back in full swing for many months now, What the reading and discussions in that class did bring me back to, which I probably hadn't thought about in a while, was that spiritual practice of the pause, because it does come from Buddhist teaching and Buddhist psychology. So since January, I have felt very thankful every day to have this practice back in my life. So as I've made my way back into day-to-day office, back into face-to-face church, back into community, my spiritual practices have been my saving grace keeping me grounded to what I know is true. And the best thing about this practice for me, that practice of the pause, is that every single time I do it, every single time I take a moment to bring that practice into my awareness, it feels like a little miracle. Like every time I get caught up in a bunch of negative reactions or a loop of reactivity, and I somehow find the presence of mind to stop and pause, It's just as amazing as the very first time I did it. It's just as exciting. It's just as freeing. It feels like a little miracle. I feel my heart open. I find compassion for myself every time. Every single time I take this action, it feels as enlightening and as freeing as anything else I've ever felt. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but if you spend so many years of your life like trapped in negative thinking about yourself, and then you start to learn how to let that go, I highly recommend you try it out. Every time I do this, what I'm actually experiencing 
is the gift of getting the chance to pause and begin again. So I know that spiritual practices look and feel different for all of us. We have prayer, we have meditation, writing, gardening, cooking, deep conversation, making music, all of it. All of these things are our connection points, right? And they serve us so much good. They all lead us to where we are going next. And as we work to define the places these practices have in our daily lives, as we incorporate them into our routines and our schedules, I believe that we are truly setting ourselves up for moments of deep, direct experience. Because even if we can't feel it all the time, even if we're not paying attention, the fact that we are all inextricably connected to everyone else isn't a matter of belief or opinion. It's actually provable fact. Our daily practices keep us awake to this truth. They keep us thankful and aware of that truth and open to more and more love. So I know that I will have moments, even periods of time in my life in the future where I once again feel that low point of disconnection, where faith won't be taking as active a role in my life as I personally believe that it should for me. So my hope for myself and for all of us is that I won't forget the tiny actions and powerful practices that bring me back to truth and back to that spirit of life and love that holds us all. So as we get closer to leaving today, I hope you can take the time to be thoughtful about what those practices and what those connection points are for you. And if you are in your own time of disconnection now, first of all, I send you my love and my understanding, and I also hope that remembering what has grounded you in faith before and simply trying it again may serve as a point or catalyst for you. We all have the ability to ignite our own faith in these ways, and sometimes we're the only ones who will be able to relight that fire for ourselves. So I pray that you find the tools that work best for you and that you keep them tucked close by right where you need them. May we all know what keeps us grounded. May we all know what opens our hearts. May we carry these practices with us and live in the comfort of knowing that we always have a way back to faith. We always have a way back to the truth. And we always have a way back to love. May it be so. <laughs>